Well, happy 2021, Shauna. <laughs> happy New Year, Lisa. Oh, I really hope this year is going to go a little better than 2020. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I have started off the new year catching up on some Netflix shows. And I know I'm a little late to this, but I started to watch The Queen's Gambit on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's made me think a lot about chess and strategy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and chess, I use that example so often in relation to DEI work, how it's it's a lot of strategy, it's a lot of thinking through the board, next steps. So, you know, everybody's a piece in the game, right? So let's talk about it. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, tell me all about the Queen's Gambit. I'm barely into the season. I may be into episode three or four, but what are you thinking about how this connects to our work? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because the premise is a young woman who um, is very successful at chess in the 1960s. And so chess is dominated by men, by white men. She's a white woman. Um, And so there is this kind of subtext conversation that's happening around how she's engaging in and being successful in a male dominated environment where people are making sexist assumptions about her and her capacity. I think there's one point in the show that you probably haven't gotten to yet where a reporter Mm -hmm. asks her about um, critics have said that she's too glamorous to play chess. Right. And she has some kind of retort about how the Adam's apple gets in the way. And it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's this, so she's trying to navigate the actual chessboard in terms of strategy. And then she's also trying to navigate in terms of strategy, being in a male dominated environment. And, um, you know, there's other kind of like, there's another narrative around her addiction. So she's trying to navigate that also. So I think that when we talk about representation, diversity, inclusion, and we Um, try to move that from the abstract to the practical in our endurance sport community, it's strategy becomes really important, right? Because you can't, it's not as simple as to just say, hey, we need to change everything and do this. So like Lisa Steptoe, who was our guest a couple of weeks ago, you know, she Mm -hmm. didn't just, she's been incremental in her approach, right? She began with a survey, but then she's kind of like been Mm -hmm. not piecemealing it, but she's not been a tidal wave, right? Um, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And so yeah. I think I think that that's where this kind of idea of chess pieces mm. and strategy and which move are you going to make and mm-hmm. you know how do you how do you win or be successful? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I think your point is valid because you know let's think about how difficult it is to quote unquote win or do well or have an impact, especially when you're the first. You know, maybe you're the first person, you know, I'm obviously thinking about Kamala Harris here a bit, but, you know, think about all the firsts that we've had, um, whether it's in sports, in society overall, you know, every year I see first, especially in my community, the African-American community, you know, the first pilot to do this or the first everything. And so, you know, I think there's an additional burden that comes along with being the first. And given that, how does a first, if you will, manage the overall game of of chess when it comes to DEI work. And so, you know, it's something different when everyone knows the rules, 
everyone knows the game. Everyone knows why they're there, but it's something different. If you're trying to start a game, initiate a game, you're trying to show others what you know about the game or even show others that we need someone to come in and tell us how to play this game and do it effectively. I just think it's, it's a heavier burden. Um, if you end up being the first clarion voice to bring up, hey, hello, we, we have some type of social responsibility to these particular issues, especially around inclusion generally. And so it's it's an additional weight on one's shoulders. And so that requires, I think, a even more complex uh, approach to strategy. Uh, do you think it's a do you think I'm just looking at this from a perspective of, OK, it's just hard regardless or is it harder being the first? I think it is harder being the first because I think you are the individual that is then kind of weathering all of the initial pushback or resistance or stereotyping, right? Because mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no one else has put their foot in that space. And so being the first person, you kind of get bombarded with all of that stuff and you, and you have to, there's added pressure for you to kind of disprove um, people's assumptions about whatever it may be, right? So Kamala Harris yeah. is... Yeah. Um, gonna have to um, she is gonna be held to a much higher standard mm-hmm. not least because she's a woman of color but also because she's the first woman of color in the vice mm-hmm. president position right mm-hmm. and then so women of color who follow her into yeah. the vice presidency it's not that they won't have to deal with stereotypes but I think some of that kind of initial um, jaggedness that she's gonna come into will mm-hmm. have dissipated Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, it's something different when you know what to expect, right? So, you know, so for me, I, I think it's very interesting when I come into spaces where, you know, I might be one of a few people of color or one of a few women. I'm usually not the first, but I'm still one of a few. And so I can at least look at the people that were ahead of me to say, okay, Mm -hmm. she or that African-American or whomever, they experienced X, Y, Z challenges. So Shauna, don't be surprised when they come your way. I've already kind of strategized in my mind, how do I want to respond, reply, address the issue, knowing that this is not new, not taking it personally necessarily, but just knowing that I need to have a strategy to respond. And thank goodness I have at least somewhat, even if it's a vague playbook, I'd rather have that than nothing. Um, so whoever comes behind Kamala, they at least have a really good playbook to look at, e- even mm-hmm. if, and, and I don't think she will, but let's say, um, you know, everything just went to trash. You know, everything she touched went to trash. They would at least have that playbook of, okay, this strategy does not work. <laughs> I, I can rule that out. That does not work. Um, but I do think there's some some heaviness to it. And um, just, this re- just this week, I was talking with um, a particular client, and she is that first clarion voice that's trying to figure out the, the content of DEI because she's educating herself. She's trying to lay that on the the backdrop of her company, um, which is not well-versed. And she's also dealing with some of that stereotyping slash stigma of, okay, here we go. This is the person of color that uh, is pushing these issues. And it's really interesting to watch. And we had to have a really frank conversation about what it means to not only just do the work, but do the work in a strategic, once again, phased way. That's, that has to be the thought process behind doing this. You can't just run a Mack truck through an organization, a tri club, a system and say, you must do it. You must do it this way. There's nuance. There's, there's more art than science to this, I think. 
I agree. And I think the degree to which you need to play chess is dependent upon your identity and the uh, uh, and mm-hmm. the, the majority identity of the group or entity that you're trying to nudge in a certain direction, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, a white person coming forward and being the first uh, voice around, here's what we need to do in our endurance sports community to fix this problem, they're strategy and severity of strategy is going to be look different than Mm -hmm. um a woman of color or a person with disabilities right like so i think that it gets Mm -hmm. mediated um based on those social identities and then expectations perceptions that the audience has of that person yeah yeah i agree well you know think about it how (laughs) so People that walk into organizations or groups, tri clubs, et cetera, that have a certain identity that may be marginalized, the first step that most privileged folks take for granted is the building of both rapport and credibility. Because the assumption is when you walk in the room and you're talking about these issues that you don't know what you're talking about or, or because you are that one woman or that one person of color or that one LGBT person that, oh, that's an isolated incident. That that just happened to you. So why do we need to think strategically about a plan to uh, handle these situations more broadly? Because people assume that you're speaking from one experience rather than many. And so, you know, the first, I don't want to say it's unnecessary, but it, it is for privileged folks white males, white people in general, is that they don't necessarily have to build that rapport. They don't have to prove that they know what they're talking about. Um, You know, the fact that I can walk into a room um, as a person with a terminal degree and 24, 25 years of experience, whereas, you know, the person across from me could be a white male with much less experience and probably lesser, you know, papers on the wall, if you will, when it comes to education, but yet I still have to work harder to prove credibility. That's Mm -hmm. very real. And so that has to be part of the strategy. And I'm not saying that it's right or that it's fair, but it is part of uh, it's, it's a move that you have to think about. And so from my understandings, my, my very slim understandings of chess, because I do not play chess. I'm the only one in my house that doesn't, but my six-year-old and my nine-year-old do. Um, One of the things that I've learned very quickly from them is that uh, you can't just think about one step at a time. You have to think about many, many steps ahead of yourself. And so that's, that's the extent of my chess knowledge right there. Um, But I think that's really important to DEI work that, you know, folks that are marginalized, Marginalized voices that are also first have to think many, many steps ahead of people who are not oppressed in multiple ways. Um, And that's something that takes some getting used to when you're becoming that clarion voice. You know, I I think Mm -hmm. it's so profound. We're seeing it right now. Um, I know we keep referring back to Kamala, but, you know, they're thinking way down the road. You know, I'm, I'm sure when they had some initial conversations about her being on the ticket, they're not thinking about, you know, this one year. They're thinking about four years, eight years possibly 12, 16 years. What does that mean? And so, you know, how can we do that in our tri clubs and our endurance communities? I'm not quite sure how, but I just know that we need to have a longer view, um, which is part of a leader's role. You know, they have to think longer and broader. Yeah. There's also something to be said about having a buddy, right? So Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, right? So you've got, um, you know, a president elect who, looks exactly like every other 
president, barring one, um, right. you know, who's who's the buddy um, to Kamala Harris, who doesn't look anything like any vice president ever. Um, and so right, I think right, that's right. really helpful. So if you are um, contemplating being that clarion voice, that first voice in your tri club, in your endurance sports community to uh, push them um, to do better in the area of diversity inclusion, I think it can be strategic um, to bring along a buddy, right? So to maybe have some kind of um, mm -hmm. backroom conversations initially with individuals in your community um, to see, to take their temperature a little bit and say, okay, so how can we develop this multi-pronged strategy that is, is more than a short-term piece? You know, it's more than just moving the pawn forward one square. I'm thinking about how do I use the rook and the knight six six uh, mm -hmm. moves later. Um, so I I think that's also important, right? Like you don't in some in some cases you are the only one, and yeah, in a in yeah. a case where you feel like you have a buddy, you could get a buddy. Then I would say get a buddy. Mm, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let me let me think on that because you know, how many times, Lisa, have we been a, in a situation where you and I had the option to walk into a situation alone, but then we looked around not only to see are there pros and cons to a buddy, and are there pros and cons to a specific buddy, right? Um, what yeah. type of buddy are we looking for here, right? So, um, so for example, if you and I are going to consult with an organization about DEI work, I, I know and I feel that I have value. I have very high self-esteem. I, I am okay. However, I can't think about my intentions with the consult. I have to think about my impact with the consult. And so, therefore, I may need a buddy like you who may be perceived as um, how can I say, Go going back to my point of lessening the time it takes to build the credibility, um, you know, that, that step that I wish we didn't have to take, um, it could literally lessen the amount of time it takes for me to build a credit the credibility with an mm -hmm. organization if I have someone who represents a different identity, even if it's mm -hmm. still oppressed in some ways differently, because then it takes it out of, um, you know, frankly, butthurt feelings. You know, sometimes I think, you know, white folks or people in majority groups think that minority group folks are just, uh, you know, always on edge, always upset, um, sometimes sore losers to things, um, when in fact, it's an entire system that makes it look as if every instance is a, a, a one instance thing, when in fact, it's an entire system of folks that are having individual instances. So yeah. Shauna being snubbed is, yes, it is Shauna being snubbed, but it's also hundreds of thousands of other Black women being snubbed in very similar ways, which then constitutes a system. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, working through that, I, I think, you know, yeah, the, the buddy, the buddy system is real. It's not just for, uh, <laughs> it's not just for open water swim or for cycling. You, you need someone with you, I think. Um, what is it? Um, there's safety in numbers type of thing. Um, I, I do think there's something to that when it comes to this work. And so, um, you know, one of the things I think about too, and Lisa, I don't know how you handle this when you're working with uh, consults, but working with organizations that are trying to figure this work out, I encourage them first to you know, yes, you probably have a couple of people who have been clarion voices for this type of work. But then the next step is how can you build up a little small group of champions 
who are yeah. leaning toward that work, but may need some of the knowledge to go behind it, but you still aren't walking in there alone. So it's, it's kind of like Black Panther and the Dora Milaje. You know, you're, you're walking in there with your whole crew and you know they're going to have your back. So, you know, do you have kind of thoughts about how you build out a buddy or an mm -hmm. entire group of champions to support the work? That may be the next step. Yeah, I think one of your team members needs to be a mediocre white male. <laughs> Oh, say that again. Say that again. <laughs> so the phenomenon mm -hmm. of the mediocre white male that can, uh, <laughs> has credibility, is believed, is paid well, right? But they don't actually do a whole lot for it. It's just their whiteness and their maleness that gets them there. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there, there's actually a book uh, that's either just been released or will be released shortly um, called The Mediocre White Male. Um that I haven't read, but I'm I'm definitely looking forward to reading. Uh, we we might need a whole um, podcast just on that alone. We we might yeah. need that. Yeah, let's yeah, put that on the to do list. <laughs> I I mean I I have a kind of um a, a store a story or a perspective to share that's not endurance sport related, but you know a lot of my work is addressing um violence against women or or sexual violence broadly against you know, a number of different folks um, mm -hmm. and working with police, criminal justice. And so, you know, historically, the criminal justice system has been very um, challenging and difficult and um, harmful to survivors who come forward and report that they've had the experience of, of sexual violence. And one of the key strategies to shift that system, right? We're not talking about like individual police officers being assholes. We're talking about a whole system that approaches mm -hmm. victims as though they are the suspect and they don't believe um, women who come forward, particularly women who come forward and report sex assault is to get a champion. And so um, I work with one police agency where there's an individual um, in there who has done a really great job of connecting with high level police officers. So people at the commander, captain, chief, deputy chief level um, and massaging them and helping them understand the importance of um, shifting their culture. And so over time, she has built a um, collaboration um, of champions, right? But champions who have mm. higher, hierarchical power, they're all white men. Um, uh, because that mm -hmm. is the primary voice in law enforcement. And so it's not been something she could do overnight. Like, so she started with one person, got that one person into training, that person's perspective shifted. So then it was her and this one person, right? He has since been promoted. So he's now higher in the organization. Oh, there you and go. then the two of them kind of went forward and started to shift people, right? So that champion piece that you mentioned is really important i think because you have to have someone who is has credibility value um longevity in the system mm. to, to be a champion to assist you particularly yes. if, if you um have a set of marginalized identities um that's mm. mm-hmm well you know what you've got me thinking about now is that okay so as we continue to bring people along so that champion you know i'm wondering if there that's a whole step or a whole ladder of development for developing champions so you know 
each step is a little different. So of course, you know, identifying your person, whether it's that mediocre white man or whomever, you know, identifying who is ripe and primed and ready for those conversations. So, you know, that would be the first piece, then getting them educated and on board more fully, because, you know, it, it is a, a passive thing where, you know, a lot of people say, of course, I'm, I'm down for diversity and inclusion work, but are they really, you find out once you get into some of the deeper training. So, um, you know, really getting them sold on the work. And then from there, you know, using that leverage, that power in ways that connect with mm -hmm. uh, their networks more broadly. Um, and also, you know, wielding that influence so that, you know, we've talked about it quite a bit, how the work is a long-term work, but we can work with urgency and wait with patience. I think that mm -hmm. working with someone like that would speed up the process a bit um, so that, you know, champions, a group of champions have more agency. So I think that's, that's something to think about, like a whole leadership development process of, you know, who right. are you going to pick on, if you will, um, in your tri club that may be open to this work, but they just need, need more information and how to apply it. So then you're no longer that lone wolf first voice, um, but you're now snowballing into a larger group. And so hopefully you have the majority of the organization on board and the entire organization is moving forward together. Of course, you're going to have a few resistors. Let's keep it real. We, we're prag pragmatists when it comes to that. Um, but I think that could move the organization along a bit more quickly. Mm-hmm. There's in community mm. organizing, you know, you talk about grassroots organizing, yes. um, you know, yes. which is kind of community-based embedded in the community. But then there's also, I think it's called grass tips organizing. So mm. it's kind of going to the top of the blade, right? So who are the people um, that have influence that you can also um, talk to, right? And so when you think about endurance sport, who are the people that have influence? They're the presidents of your clubs. They're industry leaders, right? They're um, people who have coached for a really long time, um, race directors that have a lot of influence in the community. So it's a little bit of a both end, right? And thinking about to avoid being the only person and all of the challenge and stress that can come with that. You have, that's, there's that trash, trash, chess. It's not trash, it's chess strategy <laughs> um, again um, mm -hmm. in thinking about three or four steps ahead, right? Like, so how can I um, build this coalition of champions, but do so at kind of different, um, at different points in the system uh, and who is going to have the most power in what context. And I think about um, nonprofit boards and you often see that there's like kind of a motley crew collection of people on nonprofit boards, but they're chosen very specifically That's right. That's right. because of their influence in certain areas. Right. So maybe you have someone who works in a bank. Maybe you have someone who is, a very um, a philanthropist, right? But very prominent in their community. Or maybe you have someone who um, is high up in the school system or something and has kind of that influence over the schools if you're an educational nonprofit, that sort of thing, right? So you're thinking about how can I extend my single voice um, to, to gain um, mm -hmm. like distance, but also to gain credibility. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because that, that's what I'm, hmm. That's what I'm thinking about when it comes to, you know, being the clarion voice and, you know, strate strategically putting people together because, you know, one of the things I thought about, especially at the new year, so um, a lot of people know I, I would not ever profess to be a, like a deep scholar on Dr. King, but um, I have read every single sermon that he wrote and, you know, lots of other letters that he wrote while he was in jail and so forth. And 
the first thing I thought of, you know, especially in the new year, um, even with this work around chess and strategy of DEI work is that, you know, Dr. King wrote the drum major instinct and he wrote it um, specifically talking about how the drum major instinct can be used you know, for good or for folly, if you will. And so, you know, he gave primary examplers, examples of folks like Hitler and, you know, others who were damn good drum majors just in the wrong direction. And so, you know, for me, I, I think it's interesting how he, he even talks about in uh, the drum major instinct, how he always tries to kind of, quote unquote, convert people when he goes to jail and not necessarily convert them religiously, but convert them from a social justice perspective to think about race and even talking to wardens when he's in jail about this, quote unquote, race problem that they were experiencing at that time. And, you know, that to me really does make me think about, you know, obviously I, I don't uh, <laughs> I don't delude myself into thinking that I would ever get to that point. Um, but what are some takeaways from that when it comes to the character of both being a clarion voice leader that's trying to build champions, but also mm -hmm. being strategic in an environment that you know that has not been built for this type of work? So I'm I'm like in my brain I'm thinking about and I'm not <laughs> we we need like a, a a graphic designer that could do this complex stuff that you and I think up Lisa I'm thinking about like a chessboard that's not mm -hmm. horizontal it's mm -hmm. like kind of you know tilted and we're still trying to play this game with strategy and thinking two or three steps ahead but knowing one false move and all the pieces slide off or or they move in a place where you didn't intend or something changes or adjusts in ways that you thought you anticipated but you didn't you know of course we dr king even talked about part of his strategy he knew that he might not make it you know to the mountaintop with us he talked about not even living to see you know, the ultimate dream that he had. And so, you know, I'm just thinking through what it means to be the first, play the game, play the game in a system that is not built for the system to be played in and still level the mm -hmm. playing field to actually still help everyone to win or at least move forward or take another step forward. It, it's, yeah. it's complicated. And um, I like the duality of the complication, but you know, we're trying to help leaders here in the mm -hmm. new year take steps forward, um, given the complexity without uh, deterring them from doing so. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I hope that this isn't a deterrent because it does sound hard as you're talking. I'm like, whew, that's a lot of work, right? But I think when we're trying to essentially move the Titanic um, and, you know, the steering is busted on the Titanic and we're trying to shift <laughs> right, that right, boat, right, right, right. This it's, it takes a lot of effort and mm -hmm. there, there is a, there is a first, there is someone that needs to be the first. And it actually makes me think of this um, video that I saw years ago with it within our context of leadership training and teamwork is this um, festival, this music festival, Oh, I think I saw that. You know, yeah, and there's, yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. A, there's like a person dancing, and he's dancing completely alone, right? And there's a narration over the top, and then like a second person starts dancing with him, and, you know. And there's just these two people dancing, right? And so that's the buddy. That's <laughs> yep, the buddy. That's your buddy. Yeah. And, yep. and, and then um, it reaches a tipping point where a third person comes, and when that third person comes and starts dancing, then everyone and then it suddenly becomes 100 people like it's really quick um wow mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you know thinking about 
there's a necessity in being the first, but you don't want to be hanging out there alone for too long um, because that's a lot of stress and a lot of responsibility. Um, you really want to share that load. And that's what you're looking for, right? That you're looking for your number two, your buddy, and um, oh, yeah, thinking sure. strategically about who that number two could be. And mm-hmm. then that number two might bring number three. And then once you have three, it topples, right? You get, mm-hmm. you are more mm-hmm. likely to bring a lot more people along. Um, so that those first few chess moves that you take can define the whole game. And I think we see that in the Queen's Gambit, right? Like they talk about that in the, if you don't, like if who starts first, right? So the person who starts first in a chess game has a higher likelihood of winning. Ah. Um, and then sometimes mm-hmm. the game can be decided in the first few moves, right? So it becomes really important, the first things that you do and then, and who you're bringing along with you, but, and also thinking about if you're a white person and you're the first person, right? This isn't about quote unquote saving um, people of color. If you're a man, this isn't about saving women and transgender people and non-binary people, right? This isn't about as an able-bodied person saving um, disabled people. That's not it. So you have to um, shift out of that mindset that you alone can fix it, which I think is very a very white mindset that I have the power to fix it, right? Like I am, I, I am entitled to this. Mm-hmm. It's like a subconscious thing. And so I think you have to really um, consciously work yep. against that and then mm-hmm. and be strategic in how you take those first few moves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're, uh, you're making me think back to Lisa. So you know how much I love West Wing. I think I bring it up like every other podcast episode about West Wing. And, you know, I remember a couple of those episodes where President Bartlett had come back home from, I believe it was India, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the dignitaries um, sent him back to the United States with all of these different chess sets. Each one of them was different, made out of different material, et cetera. But I remember one in particular on the show that was actually a circular shaped chessboard. Um, And, you know, recalling that, you know, it's just reinforcing to me, you know, the point around, yes, we, we absolutely want to build this snowball effect where more and more people are pushing the organization, the tri club in a particular direction, but also to being able to assess the land, you know, assess the context that you're working within. Um, One of the things that I teach in many of my courses for my master's students and doctoral level students is around um, how do you do an environmental scan, like scan your environment to see, all right, who might be some of your champions? Who might be your ace, which I call your your buddy, if you will. Um, so who's your buddies? Who could possibly be your ace? Um, who could possibly be your champions? Who could possibly be your chief resistor, right? You need to know who those people are too, who are going to be the most mm, problematic yeah, people. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and not to say that you disregard them, but again, you need strategy to either work with them, work around them, work through them, whatever that means for your organization. Um, so all of that is part of the strategy. And so I think most times <laughs> this type of work falls apart because the work is 
not necessarily piecemeal, but it definitely isn't strategic. And there is no thought put into not only what am I going to say or communicate, but who I'm, who am I going to communicate with and in what order am I going to work with them? Um, and all of that's part of the strategy of, you know, how do you want to mm -hmm. roll this out? Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. The strategy depends on your positionality in the organization, you know, whether it's an org chart or whether you're, you know, the vice president of the tri club down the street, your positionality um, and your lived identities, all that folds in together to determine how the strategy really rolls out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the, so to our point, I guess the first takeaway we could say is that, you know, don't go into the situation without a strategy. <laughs> That's the first thing. Get a yes. strategy. Yes. Um, but these are the general things that we think your strategy should have or think about moving forward. But don't go in without a strategy. Please do not drive a Mack truck through your tri club mm -hmm. saying mm -hmm. everybody I'm shoving DEI work down their throats. They must do it or else there has to be some thought put into that thing. Yeah. And then the second piece is be strategic in your strategy, be strategic about um, who that number two is, who that buddy is, right? Because I'm just thinking about your your comment earlier, Shauna, where you're saying about how you have to work so much harder for credibility. And I think that that speaks to this um, kind of uh, culture of suspicion for uh, individuals who experience marginalization. Yes, there is yes. kind of from dominant groups, there's this culture of suspicion based on your proximity to marginalization, right? And so Mm -hmm. You need mm -hmm. to think about then who can be my buddy in the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris example, right? So she's she has a partner who is kind of top dog in terms of kind of U.S. cultural hierarchy, right? Absolutely, so, absolutely. You know, um, and so you do need to think about because if you are not perceived as credible by your audience, rightly or wrongly, Right. That's, that's going right. to that's, that's going right. to affect um, that's going to affect how you move forward in shifting the culture of your endurance sport community. So, mm -hmm. yes. So have a strategy point one and your strategic um, move within the strategy is that number two. Who's that number two going to be based yeah. based on your proximity to marginalization? Right. Absolutely. I think that helps shape who your number two needs to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that shapes who your number two needs to be. And then the number three is getting them more and more educated or professionally developed around topics of DEI. That could be like a three or at least a two A, two B. Um, that could be a next step. And then the fourth mm -hmm. step would be those champions. So then building out the group of folks, the dancers um, that come yep. along and help move things forward. Um, so who will those dancers be? And thinking about, you know, what their identities are because that pushes things along or not. Uh, so those champions. And so then I guess what would be, Hmm, I guess number five might be identifying those resistors. You know, what are going to be the mm -hmm. biggest uh, who are going to be the most challenging personalities in this process? And how do you, um, I use the language, this sounds terrible, but it's the truth. How do I contain <laughs> this person, right? Because mm -hmm. I think we, we make a, a big mistake thinking that, oh, well, I can just change their mind. I can convince them that this is important. I can convince them that, that DEI work is effective. There are literally some people who are just as committed to resisting DEI work as we are committed to doing DEI work. I don't yeah. have the kind of time or energy to spend 
you know, trying to convert folks that are not interested or not invested, I rather spend my time with all the other people who are genuinely interested and do have energy around the work that I'm doing, because I always feel like those couple of resistors end up hijacking the real work. Um, and so I would rather contain the resistors um, or, or and work around them, you know, because they're not necessary <laughs> sometimes. I almost feel like that's my child that I need to keep busy while I'm doing other work. That That's that's the person that I need to keep busy doing something else so mm-hmm. that we can move this work ahead. And so definitely identify who the resistors are. Who's going to be most problematic in the organization? Yeah, and I, I wonder whether that's... Um... I think that is important, but I wonder if it's actually five or whether it's really at the beginning as you're thinking about your strategy, right? Knowing who those resistors are, not necessarily doing yeah. anything about it. Mm-hmm. So maybe five is the doing is the containing, right? But maybe mm-hmm. the, the identification mm-hmm. of the resistors, just knowing that at the back of your mind, right? Because that's that landscape survey, that environmental scan you talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. understanding where that's do you good. where do you anticipate that you will get resistance from? And you might be wrong, right? Like you might make oh, assumptions. Absolutely. We're always holding out hope that we're mistaken on, on that initial step. So, you know, there's been times too, where I've, you know, I've interacted with folks in, you know, whether it's a committee meeting or I went on a ride with someone or a run and, you know, they may have said something where I'm thinking to myself, oh, this person may be resistant to what I hold as a value. And then they pleasantly surprise me later, which I love when that happens. Um, but at least being aware of folks that you may have, uh, different interest and values in, but yeah, I I think you're right. We might need to flip it. So Mm -hmm. we do the environmental scan first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Cause that would inform your strategy, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I need to know whether I'm working on a, uh, a square chessboard or a round one before I can make any moves at all. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You got a point. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. just one other thing that's just popped into my head is there is some research out there that shows it's in it's in an employment context. It's not in the context of a club or a race um, yeah. that uh, women um, and folks of color are more often penalized in some way for exhibiting diversity valuing behavior. So mm. I think there also needs to be yeah. something in there about you being cognizant of the potential consequences right so in a in an employment context that could be a crappy performance review that's not going to be what happens in a in an endurance sport club in a cycling club tri club right um yeah that's right that's but right certainly you know it's it is shown that uh, the response to folks who are marginalized articulating um, attitudes and behaviors and positions around diversity can lead to negative consequences mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Well, and and that, you know, hopefully <laughs> hopefully the the buddy mitigates some of that, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> hopefully the buddy helps to mitigate that whether it uh, happens organically or not, but I think the buddy could help with some of those uh challenges there too. Yeah. Mm, so if your buddy has privileged some privileged identities, some big ones like male and whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. It's essentially like they're your body armor. <laughs> Oh goodness. Yes. You know? Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Because they won't receive as much flack mm-hmm. um, and they will be able to deflect it to a greater degree because of their positional power. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That that's so true. And, you know, I, I have a great experience right now where I'm in that very same situation where, you know, I have at least three people that are my body armor where in 
possibly any other situation, I would end up, it, it would be so problematic that it might derail all of my work or the majority of my work. And they, they squash things as non-issues, you know? So like what you're reminding me of is, for example, a lot of organizations right now have been really wrestling with that executive order that came down concerning anti-racism work, uh, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of the work that mm -hmm. we do being divisive language. Well, what if you had uh, someone that wasn't body armor for you and your work and they're saying, oh, well, let's pay attention to this. Let's be a little paranoid. Let's, you know, all the things where we need to adjust our work in order to cater to this. When in fact, you may have someone who says, you know what, let's lay low. If anything pops up, I have it under control. Don't worry about it. You continue to do what you do. That's a very different approach to the very same executive order um, that's still legal, um, but it's a very different approach. And so do you want someone who's going to play really good defense for you or do you have someone that's going to, you know, leave you out there with no protection? I, I don't know about you, yeah. but, you know, for most people, <laughs> they, they need, um, especially in marginalized groups, they need that person that's a sincere mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. form of body armor for you. Um, mm -hmm. to get the work done more quickly, because if not, once again, you're ending up playing, you know, what do they call it? Ironman football, quite literally, where you're playing both offense and defense at the very same time. I think that's true of most DEI folks. Um, but can we play defense less so we have more freedom to pay off, play offense more? I, I think right. that's important to think about. Yeah. And I think that's a component of allyship, right? So for men, for white people, for able-bodied people, for heterosexual folks, right? There's a component there of allyship in, in providing that body armor piece and that deflection um, in addition to doing the work, right? But I think that when you're determining who that buddy is, who your champions are going to be, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, mm -hmm. as, as, someone, as someone who's wanting to be an ally, right? And not necessarily knowing how, that's yeah. something that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in some cases, it's it's um, kind of metaphorically putting your body in in the in the way. But in other mm -hmm. cases, like it's actually putting your body in the way, right? Like oh, it's yeah. actually stepping in physically mm -hmm. and redirecting a conversation, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've seen that happen. Um, you know, it's. Uh, close to literal to what you're mentioning. But for example, if, you know, there's something as simple as an email back and forth about a, a point of diversity and inclusion and the, the one high ranking white voice on the email interrupts to say, this is already a done deal. We're already moving forward with it. So it's no need in going back and forth in conversation that can be body armor. You know, something as simple as that can actually be body armor where someone literally interjects in a way that removes or, uh, what do we say? Deescalates uh, the the power yeah. privilege dynamic yeah. that's going on to say no, this isn't up for negotiation anymore. We've made the decision and we're moving on. Um, that's important. And so you know you need to know where I don't want to throw allies around too loosely, but we do need to know you know where our aces are, where our champions are, where our some of the the most difficult folks are. We need to know where they are. And and I I think there's something to even knowing where the most difficult folks that are still sold out for diversity are as well, because, you know, as we know, everyone that's either read the White Fragility book or the article knows that, you know, the intention versus the impact of the voice of DEI can be tough to, to handle. You know, it can be tough to hear for white people. Yeah, yeah. And so what does it mean, too, if you have an organization where you have someone that's really fired up and they're very candid about what they have to say? And then you have another person who's 
just as direct, but has a different tone that's more palatable to white folks. You both of them are accurate and authentic, but you may need to strategize to use one voice in one way and another voice in another um, in order for things to get done versus, okay, we just, <laughs> we, we have this joke that we say, we don't want to scare the white folks just yet. Okay. We don't want to scare the white folks. This is a hard topic to take. Let's not scare the white folks to the point of everyone takes us as the angry black people rather than hearing the actual message that needs to be said, what's mm -hmm. going to be most palatable in the moment. That's not to say that all voices aren't valid, but it is to say strategy, what's needed in the moment at the time. Yeah. And that means you won't get caught off guard by that rook or knight that comes in from the side, right? You haven't noticed it, That's right? It. Which is, That's you it. Know, which happens in chess. Mm -hmm. And so it is like, yeah, how do you, how do yeah. you survey that whole landscape? Know where your pieces are at and mm. know, know what your moves are going to be. And also like knowing your opponent in chess, right? I mean, the Queen's Gambit talks about that a lot. Like they study each other's games to know. I mean, and that happens in sport, right? You see that mm. in football and yeah, I mean, film. other team sports, you're watching it, you're watching. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's, that's, I think what you need to do here too, if you're looking to shift a culture of an organization you're connected to. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So look, I, I think um, Netflix probably owes us a check for how much we've uh, pubbed up the Queen's yep. Gambit for them today. Uh, let me just say that. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I, I do think that we gave folks some, you know, really good touch points on strategy and what can happen next in their organizations. Um, because it's tough, you know, it's tough to be first um, it's tough because you feel alone and a bit isolated, but I think we've given them some really good strategies of how to either uh, clone themselves in certain ways or at least uh, build up some body armor so that they can get some of this work done um, mm -hmm. in ways that are long lasting in their organization. So it's it's tough work, but, you know, it's a new year. Hopefully everyone is re-energized and ready to go with this type of work because it's tough, but certainly doable if you get the right pieces around you. I think it can happen. Yeah, and we would love to hear from you if you have played a, a game of chess in, in the DEI <laughs> forum and you have yeah. some examples to share of being the first and how you were able to construct a group of champions or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do send us an email, send us a voice mem memo to info at unfazedpodcast.com. It's really helpful, I think, for listeners to hear these real life examples of what's working and what's not, um, you know, strategies that work, mm -hmm. strategies that don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think we've uh, kicked off 2021 as best as we can. Can you believe it? We're already into uh, another year and nope. uh, incredible, incredible. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so on to the next, Lisa. This one was awesome. All right. Thanks, Shauna. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>